We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 12. Hebrews 6, 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your good or work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, in that ye ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Father, this morning we once again work with a phenomenal truth of Scripture, and that is that your people are the people of great promises. Peter calls them great and precious promises. And our passage reminds us that those promises that are great and precious to us ought to be met with faith and patience as we wait upon you for your timing to bring every good thing to its stated and intended end. We pray for the trust and the obey of your people. We pray today for understanding and grasp of this text. Thank you for the occasion to speak of our authenticity in Christ and its essential nature by way of testimony in the world in which we live. Help us to be a thinking and responding congregation to the truth of thy word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. The real McCoy. Real McCoy is an American phrase that is used often by people without any knowledge of the origin of that phrase. I know that I used that phrase in the days of my youth, but never had any grasp of the meaning until living in Ohio. It's amazing how many times you say things by way of common vernacular that you really don't know what they mean. I, I uh, remember years ago talking about the fact that if somebody was all in, if they really gave it to their all, I'd say, man, he gave them the whole nine yards. And one day somebody said to me, didn't you play football? And I said, yeah. They said, what's the value of nine yards? <laughs> when it takes ten to get a first down. And I said, I don't know. So then I first read that back in the day, the old cement mixers carried nine yards of cement. And if you wanted the whole load, you'd ask for the whole nine yards. And then I later read that the strip of M50 machine gun bullets in a B-2 bomber were nine yards long, and that if you gave them all nine yards, you emptied your machine gun on the opposing plane. So which is it? I don't know. 
But I know this, and I was talking all nine yards before I had any clue where that phrase came from. Likewise, I grew up saying, it's the real McCoy. I never even knew what McCoy was until living in Ohio. But popular pottery giant McCoy, often duplicated, often reproduced, and often faked. The term actually came from that pottery giant who worked to struggle, as it were, in business to mark his pottery in such a way so that an expert could say, yep, it's the real McCoy. That statement is a statement of authenticity. Every morning, Sherry and I drink our wake-up coffee in cups rightly stamped so as for us to declare that they are the real McCoy. If Christians came with an identification, if Christians came with an authenticity mark, the question is, would you have the right one? Are you marked so as to be, spiritually speaking, the real McCoy? I tell you, the appraised value of a real Christian is staggering in this earth, in this world. The true worth of a godly man, the true worth of a godly woman cannot be easily measured. But what prize is a believer who lives a life of authenticity? who lives a life stamped, as it were, spiritually speaking, as the real McCoy. Now that line of thinking has come to me from this text of Scripture at verse 10. It is clear in verse 10 that some had shown themselves to be the real deal in Christ, and that others were being challenged, verse 11, to show themselves as such during the days of earthly sojourn. This whole section is a compliment to some believers, and it is likewise a challenge to other believers to be the real deal, to be the real McCoy in relationship to Christ. There are three truths that uh, intersect in this text, yielding to us the identifying factors for Christian authenticity. The word authenticity means genuine, means real. It means original. To authenticate means to prove, to confirm, to ratify by rational argument or by demonstrated action. Here, by means of the word show, verse 10, and show, verse 11, you have a compelling case for public demonstration of Christ. The putting of Christ-like behavior on display as proof of living in Christ. Authentic spiritual reality in Christ. 
comes by three things. Delightful accompaniments. Two, divine attributes. Three, desirable appointments. So says our text, verse 9, verse 11 and 12. Let's start thinking about this idea of the mark of a Christian. The real deal, as stated in Scripture. We start with delightful accompaniments. Verse 9. But beloved, we said last week that the concern raised in the uh, 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 heavy and serious matter uh, that is brought to bear in verses 4 to 6, that that concern was not directed to the whole of the Hebrew people that were originally receiving this letter, because we have in verse 9 uh, the calling of them beloved, beloved before God, loved as Christians, and the writer saying, we are persuaded of better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, though we thus speak rough, though we thus speak hard, though we thus speak of serious things that cause you, what in the world is he talking about? Even though we're talking rough, even though we're talking uh, tough, uh, the writer makes it clear that his conviction is, his persuasion is, that uh, these people are God's people. We know from our previous study that God's salvation in Christ has uh, or possesses accompanying things. While verse 9 doesn't tell us what those accompaniments would be, it isn't too difficult to glean from the context what we are looking for here. The whole section develops out of a specific problem addressed and a specific imperative pressed. The apostle addressed the problem, 513, as dullness of hearing. That same problem is addressed in 612 as slothfulness. The word slothful, 612, the word slothful is the same as the word dull hearing in 513. The problem was stated previously at the end of the fifth chapter as being unskilled or unexperienced in the use of the scriptures for practical life and living. And then in 6.1, we had the imperative to be carried forward in perfection or maturity. These two things, when combined, summarize the accompaniments of genuine salvation. God's salvation is accompanied by an ongoing experience with the Word of God and a sense of confident stability or maturity in Christ. What are the accompaniments of salvation? Number one, an ongoing experience with the Word of God and a sense of confident stability or maturity in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me because uh, there's a lot of ways to think about the idea of accompaniment. I couldn't help but think of our scripture reading portion in the first hour this morning. We talked about the praise of God, and specifically the psalmist said, let the praise of God 
be associated with the people of God on the playing of a harp. And uh, as we read that this morning, I couldn't help it. I, uh, I uh, took a brief pause uh, when we were reading that to look right down inside that piano. Because if you take what is right down inside that piano, yank it out, put it on its side, and strum it, you got a harp. And the praise of God was specified in Psalm 98 this morning as being uh, upon a harp. But there's a lot of things that come to mind when you start thinking about accompaniments. And sometimes we think about the accompaniment of the organ or the piano when we sing. And that certainly has something to say in regards to this text. I find it telling that the Greek word for accompaniment in verse 9 is the Greek word echo. Now it means in the Greek to have or to possess or to hold a thing. But just think about that word as it comes into English. But, beloved, we are persuaded of better things of you, of things that echo, 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 echo. Salvation. I do think the word itself in transliteration, letter for letter, becomes a good illustration of what it is the text is after. And that is that there would be a resounding of our salvation in the ebb and flow of life. Just like the strings on the piano are hammered and off the sounding board comes sounds to our ears that accompany our singing. So the truth of Christ when brought into the life is to reverberate off the sounding board of the soul uh, for the ears of the people that are around us. It really is kind of a, a beautiful depiction to think about that. But just notice the fact of the posture of the writer here as he is saying to the people that he is persuaded of that, for the most part, in them, although he's talking about some really serious and rough-to-be-spoken-about things. Think about a man of God saying to people, I believe in you. I'm persuaded of you. And think of the encouragement that would come to the soul of those people to have the man of God say to them, I'm persuaded of you. Not the thing of which I warned you, but things that accompany salvation. I am persuaded of this, this ability of yours to manifest Christ on the visual screen of your life for other people to see it and become hungry for God as a result of it. Attached to our salvation is everything needed for the practice of righteousness and the performance of Christian adulthood. There's no reason for genuine believers to remain in spiritual infancy and inexperience. You and I establish authenticity by the display of Christ by the experience in Christ as we navigate the path of life. You know that there are things in life that just go well together. A cheeseburger and fries, they go together. 
There's something about fish and coleslaw. I don't know what it is, but they go together. There's something about watermelon and a really hot summer day. Have you thought much about what goes good with personal salvation? Have you thought much about what goes good with your personal salvation? What is it exactly that complements? What is it exactly that augments personal faith in Christ? What before the eyes of God and men goes good with salvation? These questions are answered in the ebb and flow of this text. What goes good with salvation is a rich experience in the Word of God. What goes good with salvation is a, is a growing sense of embrace and experience in Christ, the living Word of God. And so you can see here the development of what we call accompaniments, delightful accompaniments, verse 9. We move on then in verse 10 to the divine attributes. For God is not unrighteous to forget, your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's characteristic justice and God's competency are never negative issues in the life of his people. God is not unjust. He cannot forget the loving demonstration of his people, his character and his competency are immutable. This is a great truth that is used to encourage again those that were advancing, those that were experiencing the word of God in daily life and practice. Many of the Hebrew Christians had authenticated themselves by the display of love for Christ and ministry to the saints. Remember the definition of to authenticate, it means to prove by argument or action. The actions of some of these Hebrews proved that they were the real deal. God is not going to overlook anything that is done for his namesake among his people. Again, it evokes this idea of, of application that flows out of this concept of illustration. Uh, what experience? Uh, do you have in living as a Christian? Uh, can you honestly relate to the attitude as we sing it, more like the master I would ever be? Is that honestly a desire of your life? Can something of Christ be seen in you? Uh, this whole matter of Christian experience reminds me of my favorite true story of education experience class size reductions, called for the administrator of a large Christian school of whom I was personally acquainted. Class size reductions called for that administrator to reduce his teaching staff. When the time came in the process of the school year for contract renewals, uh, the gal with just one year of teaching experience right out of college uh, was quickly given her contract to be renewed. And at the same time, the veteran teacher with 20 plus years of 
experience teaching was not given a contract. When the veteran teacher came to the administrator and asked him why, he said to the veteran teacher, you do not have 20 years of teaching experience. You have one year of teaching experience 20 times. And my hope in giving the contract to the newbie and letting go of the veteran is that the newbie will actually have a second year of experience in teaching. That takes some kitzpah to be that kind of a Christian administrator. And of course, you can be glad at that moment that the school was not unionized, or the union rep would have been right there, uh, you know, filing a big problem with the fact that 20 years uh, earned something. Do you know how many problems come in the context of the American system of life? Because people think they have a right to a job or the right to a thing. Oh, if we get back to the principles of God's word. But listen to me. Do you have more than a month's worth of Christian experience? Do you have more than six months of Christian experience? Do you have more than a year of Christian experience? Do you have more than five years or ten years of Christian experience? Do you know how wearisome it is for somebody who has been saved for 40 or 50 or 60 years to still be having only year one, year two experiences in Christ? We sing things that are not true of us, like, sweeter as the years go by. Are they? Is he? Is it? For some it is. When you get around an old person that has been walking with the Lord for years, I mean to tell you, They'll bless your gizzard even when they don't mean to. And if you go to call on such an old person, you'll go there to be a blessing and you'll come away blessed. But that's not the way it is usually. Because most old people are just young people old. And they do not have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years of Christian experience. They have maybe one year of Christian experience, 30 or 40 or 50 times. Well, around here, we don't fire anybody. But nonetheless, you ought to be concerned, I ought to be concerned about the growing, deepening, the growing, heightening, the growing, widening. Withing, what was that word? I don't know. Uh, of our Christian experience. We ought to be interested in the expansion in all directions of our experiences in Christ. And the text says God is not ever going to forget any experience you and I have had in Christ. Any service rendered, He's going to remember. You might not be recognized by the congregation for what you do in prayer and in secret services to others, but God 
is not unrighteous to forget anything. And in the coming day, God will make it right. Therefore, you and I ought to live with a tremendous sense of stability, a tremendous sense of, uh, of expectation based upon God's righteous attributes. Not only is there a rationale, is there a logic that flows out of the idea that salvation has accompaniments, but that based upon the righteous attributes of God, you and I are all the more encouraged to deepen and heighten and widen our experiences in Christ year after year after year after year as long as the Lord gives us breath. Don't be one of those Christians that has the same Christian experience 20, 30, 40 times. Be a Christian that grows deep, high, wide in Christ. Believe me, you cannot get too high you cannot get too low. You cannot get too wide as to exhaust the wisdom and the glory of your Savior. If you know a lot, thank God for what you know. Be sure of this. There's a lot more to know. Every once in a while when I sit around the house with uh, uh, my youngest grandchildren and they evoke some Bible thing here, a Bible thing there. I relate to the passage. I tell them where it's found. I tell them this. I tell them that. And, and they say to me, oh, Grandpa, you know everything about the Bible. Not true. Not true. Not even close to true. This book is beyond me. It's beyond every man. It is the word of thrice holy God. He's high, so high that you can go to heaven, he's there. You can drop to hell, he's there. You can go way to the west, he'll be there. You can go way to the east, he'll be there. God is everywhere present. God is great, not just good, God is great. You can spend your whole lifetime reading this book, studying this book, walking with God. You may at some point in time, come to know a lot in comparison to others. But surely you do not know much of God. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. And therefore, that sense of societal boredom and that rebellion of heart that forms in words, I heard this before, is easily dismissed when you really think about the goodness and the greatness of God. Divine attributes encourages you to dig deep, to go high, to get wide in Christ. Third thing, desirable appointments. Notice the we of verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Who are we in this verse? It includes, without a doubt, the desire of the writer, 
But he didn't say I. He said we. It not only includes the desire of the writer, but it, of course, includes the desire of the author. God. He said we. Is that it? No, I don't think so. I think when the writer was prompted of the Holy Spirit of God to say, and we desire certain things be appointed, assigned, scheduled in your life and mine, he was likewise talking about all those fellow believers who live the authenticated life in Christ. The desire of heaven is for an authenticated life. The desire of the preacher is for an authenticated life. The desire of all godly people on the earth is that each and everyone who names the name of Christ would indeed display the same diligence would indeed display the same level of authenticity and mimic the great examples of saints now dead to be rewarded. That's what the verse says. It says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of expectation unto the end that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit promises. Now, when I read those verses and I came to the word followers, uh, I immediately thought to myself, I got to chase that word, I got to chase that word, I got to chase that word. Followers, I got to chase that word, I got to chase that word. I got to look and see what that word is for followers because I know there are three possibilities in the Greek language for a follower. Uh, possibility number one just simply means uh, somebody that is alongside of you, like somebody that's walking by your side when you're going across uh, the park. A partner, we might say. And certainly to follow Christ is to be a partner with Christ. But then there's a stronger, more intensive word for follower that has the idea of pursuit, as in somebody that is going after somebody else. Like the other day when I was at the grocery store and a two-year-old broke loose, headed down the aisle, and uh, the mother, I mean, she was uh, uh, by no means, uh, uh, to look at her, athletic. But I'm telling you, that woman ran 100 yards in less than nine seconds flat. I mean, she was there. I mean, the, her timing in the 40, I can't believe it. I'm telling you, she would have been a marvel in any, in any context, as she scooted after that kid, grabbed that kid up. I mean, he didn't have a chance to put his little grubby hand on anything before she had him in her clutches. And I thought, boy, let's have some more mothers like that around. Boy, I, li I like the quick ones. I don't like the one to say, well, there he goes. No, get after that boy. But anyhow... Uh, uh, that element of, of activity and quickness. But uh, I, there's a word for follow that has this idea of pursuit, of uh, going after somebody quick. 
like the mother after a child. That'd be a good word here because you and I ought to get after Christ quick. But neither of those two are, are the word of the text. The word in the Greek for followers here is, I'm going to give it to you, mimikase. Mimikase. From which we get our English word mimic. Not slothful, not dull of hearing, but mimics. Of them who through faith and patience inherit promises. Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about people like Abraham. We'll get to him next. We're talking about Old Testament saints that through faith and patience inherit what God has promised them. We're talking about Joseph. As we talked of New Testament Joseph in the hour previous to this. The idea here is that we would mimic the models of individuals who live in faith and endurance, faith and patience as unto the Lord. Rather than sluggish, the desire of heaven and those that are godly on earth is that every believer would follow the pattern set of those who inherit God's full reward and promise. The example set unto full inheritance involves faith and faithfulness. You and I ought to be interested in showing each other our faith. One of the great values of a local church is the opportunity to demonstrate your faith before others. I got thinking here recently, based upon some of the things that Sherry and I have walked through together in recent days, that if God were to make us apply for our accompaniments in Christ, like senior citizens apply for their Social Security benefit, the questionnaire might include the following. Number one, have you positioned yourself in Christ by faith? Number two, do you have any experience as a Christian? Number three, have you made consistent contributions over the required period of time so as to expect a full reward? Now, obviously, thank God, we don't apply for our benefits. Christ applied for our benefits. All our benefits are based upon our association with his perfection, not our imperfections. Isn't that good? There's actually an illustration of that in regards to the sherry that we just walked through, because when sherry who, believe it or not, did turn 65 this year. When Sherry turned 65 and we had to apply for Medicare, uh, she has served uh, five local churches and two educational ministries as my wife and has received pay for none of it. 
And so as far as the government is concerned, she's a lazy woman. She hasn't worked enough quarters to be able to draw down on her own Social Security record. And when we went to apply for her benefits, I'm telling you about drove my mind nuts trying to work through that on the computer because the fact is that I'm trying to associate her life with mine. Now, I can't even think about my life without her life and mine, but as far as the government is concerned, she's her and I'm me, and that's the way they look at it. Well, eventually, we got her done. Eventually, we got her done right. And I had to answer like, questions like, uh, is she your wife, and how long has she been your wife? 47 years currently, thank you very much. Uh, but nonetheless, I had to answer questions. She had to answer questions. When it's all done and said, the government rewarded Sherry with Part A of her Medicare benefit based upon my work history. And so now every morning I make Sherry thank me for her insurance. No, I don't. What kind of a person do you think I am? But it does illustrate the fact that the benefits I get in my life from God do not come on the basis of what I have earned, but on the basis of what Christ earned perfectly. So we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Yet, the passage here tells us it is the desire of Christ. And it is the desire of the preacher. And it is the desire of everyone that has their head screwed on straight, spiritually speaking, that each and every professing child of God would so live so as to be able to expect, at the end, a full reward. And the passage tells us how you can get there. Namely, by the exercising of faith and the exercising of endurance, thereby enjoying your blessings according to God's promises. By diligent effort and imitation of godly examples, you can authenticate here and now the eternal value of God's design, not because you did good, but because Christ is good and has awarded us with his great salvation through sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Father, help us then to be a responsive people in this regard. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.